Well, as I said at the beginning of this service, we are in this series called Foolish Things That Christians Believe. The reason we're doing this series is because increasingly what we're seeing is that uh, we, we as a church, uh, Christians in general, are more and more at odds with the culture. A really good example of this is something that was just published this past week in GQ magazine. It was an article put together by their editors, and it was called 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. And on this, uh, in this article, there are several books that I was quite surprised to find there. Uh, books like Catcher in the Rye, uh, Farewell to Arms, uh, even The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien all made this list. These are books that the editor said, you don't have to read these. These are terrible books. They're boring books. You will not enjoy them. But do you want to know what came in at number 12? The Bible. The Bible was on this list at number 12, and here's what the editors had to say about it. They said, the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have not read it. Those who have read it know there are some good parts, but overall, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times, ill-intentioned. The Bible. The book that to this day remains one of the largest bestsellers in the world, translated into more languages than any other piece of literature, these guys said is a book you don't have to read. That it's foolish. And I think that that in and of itself highlights why this series is so important. Is because people come to the Bible, they come to our faith, and they think that our faith is really there for your entertainment. That the Bible itself is supposed to be this magnificent work of literature in which we are astounded by its prose. And yet I would argue, and what we've been arguing all along is that the Bible is not that, neither is the Christian faith, that by the world standards, what we believe by, the, by worldly standards is foolish, is silly, is not fancy, does not wow. And if you're coming to our faith because you desire to be entertained or because you're looking for a self-help, uh, something, uh, self-help that's going to make you feel some warm fuzzies inside, then yeah, I could see how you would conclude this. But what we've been saying all along throughout this series and what we're going to say again as we come to the end of it today is that we come to our faith not because it's impressive or flashy or fancy, but because it has the one thing that all the impressive, flashy things of our world don't have, and that is purpose and meaning, hope, and life eternal. It may seem foolish to the world at first until we take a closer look. And so I want to invite us right now to allow God to prepare our hearts and minds for the message he has for us this morning. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks that you have gathered us together again here so that we could indeed come before your word not to be entertained, not to be wowed, but to understand to understand the purpose that you have for our world, to understand who you are and who we are called to be. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, open hearts and minds to receive the message you have for us this morning. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would indeed be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Now, when I was in college, there was a very, very popular uh, band, um, and they came out with a CD. I think this was in my junior year. My junior, maybe, maybe it was my senior year, but this, this band came out with this very, very popular CD, and the CD uh, was so popular that actually NPR played the entire CD on the air at one point. They interviewed the band. Um, it skyrocketed to the top of the charts, and one of the songs, one of the songs continues to this day to make an impression on me, and here's how uh, two of the verses of the song go. It says this, it says, love of mine, someday you will die, but I'll be close behind and I'll follow you into the dark. No blinding light or tunnels to gates of white, just our hands clasped tight, waiting for the hint of a spark. If heaven and hell decide that they both are satisfied and illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs, if there's no one beside you when your soul embarks, then I'll follow you into the dark. That's a song by a band called Death Cab for Cutie. And the title of the album is Plans. Now, we can look at those lyrics and we can say, wow, that sounds really depressing. That sounds really, really morbid. But keep in mind, people loved this song. The song is actually played and sung with just that kind of beat and cadence. It's got this, it almost has this like love song quality to it. And people, when they listen to that song, were just like, wow, that's an amazing song. It's a beautiful song. And the question is, why? Why do they think that? Because they say it's honest. It's authentic. Because the reality is, is that beyond this life, there's nothing and we can either try to hide from it, maybe we can lean on the crutches of religion and philosophy, but a truly honest assessment is one that acknowledges that beyond this life, there's nothing. But in light of that, we still live with hope and joy. We still make the most of our life. We make our own plans. We find our own purposes. And then when the time comes for us to walk into the dark, we boldly embrace that as just another part of living something that we don't have to hide or not speak about. It's something we can simply say. People loved that CD. My peers loved that CD. And the fact that I even still know those lyrics and that I thought of that song when I was preparing this message highlights the fact that it touched on something true. And that is the reality is that if there is nothing else beyond this life, then indeed the best plans that we can have are plans that allow us to enjoy the present. That the mantra for my generation and the generation to follow, it really is let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And what's interesting is that's actually pulled from Scripture. No less than three places in the Bible, it says this very thing. Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, and the writings of Paul say, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Because what Scripture is saying is if there is nothing beyond this life, this is the best way to live. That if there's nothing, that if we're just going to end up walking into the dark, then indeed, let us enjoy the moments we have. Let us celebrate them and let us pursue the things that are going to help us face the darkness and yet still smile, still celebrate. 
Let us embrace those things that are still going to fill us now and in the present. And we see people in our culture today that this is the way they live. Even if they would never say, let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And I would actually say lots of us, even within the church, live this way. That we go about our daily lives pursuing what? A purpose? No, not really. We pursue those things that we think are going to fill us up and make us feel good. We take lavish vacations because we want good vibes only. We throw ourselves into our work so that we can get that bigger paycheck and so that we can have more control and more flexibility and more recognition. We end up putting our families on a pedestal and building our lives around our children. And likewise, we, we constantly are pursuing that next love relationship, that one relationship that we think is going to fill the hole inside so that when the darkness comes, there is someone who, who, with whose hands I can hold tightly as we walk into the dark. It's a life lived where the only plans that matter are my plans, where the only purpose that I have is the purpose that I design. And many of us craft our lives around that thinking that that is going to somehow satisfy. But the truth is, we know it doesn't. That deep down in our heart of hearts, there are times when we have to look in the mirror and say, wow, did that really do all that I thought it would? And the answer is no, because the truth is the vacation ends. That you can work hard at your job and still get fired. That you can climb the corporate ladder and at the same time lose your marriage and your family. And as you stand there in that corner office on the top floor, looking over the entire kingdom which you have now just conquered, you can still say, it's not enough. It's not enough. That we can build our lives around our families only to see our families shattered. Shattered by loss, shattered by divorce, shattered by the harshest words spoken by the people who know us best. And we can pursue that next relationship thinking that if I just have that one perfect human being, then my life has meaning and purpose to realize that there is no perfect human being. That no one can satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart, certainly not another person. We eat, we drink, we be merry, thinking that we will be filled. And the answer is, no, we will not. And even Solomon, in all his wisdom, acknowledged this. He said, I, desired, I de denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure, and everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The words of a king who had it all, who first wrote, let us eat, drink, and be merry. And who at the end of the day said, it's all meaningless, nothing but chasing after the wind. We think that our lives are about defining our own purpose, making our own plans. But what we see is at the end of it all, our plans ultimately disappoint. Because we've lost sight of the reason for why we are here in the first place. But it's all born of this underlying belief that there is nothing. There's nothing beyond this life. So let's live into it to its fullest. Let's embrace it as much as we can. And yet Christians, we dare to stand up and say something that sounds dumb. And that is that life is not futile. Life is not futile. That there is something beyond this life. And that, that something can actually help you find real and lasting meaning and purpose. Not just in eternity, but right now. 
I love this quote by Mark Twain. He says, in the two most important days of your life are the day that you're born and the day you find out why. The day you're born and the day you find out why. See, so many people are disappointed because they think that they've found their why, but they haven't yet. They think that they've crafted their why and they ultimately find that their why is disappointing. And yet what we say as Christians is life is not futile. There is a purpose. There is a deeper why. And part of the reason so many people are dissatisfied is because of something that uh, another author, Michael Hyatt, has said. He said that people lose their way when they lose their why. That maybe part of the reason we feel so aimless and empty is because we've chosen the wrong why. We're living for the wrong purpose. And what we would argue as followers of Jesus is that purpose can only be understood by understanding the who behind the why. By knowing the who behind the why. By knowing that our ultimate purpose is something that is defined and given to us by the God who created everything and who alone knows what can satisfy the human heart. You see, our ultimate why as followers of Jesus is that we have a vision of the future that God is going to bring to reality. It's a, and it's a, it's, a, it's a future that Jesus brought in little foretastes during his own, during his own ministry. You see, everywhere that Jesus went, what he was doing is he was entering into a dark and broken world and helping people find the Why? That everywhere that he went and he saw brokenness, he brought healing. Everywhere that he went and he saw people hungry and thirsty and unsatisfied, he brought abundance. Everywhere where he saw injustice, he brought justice. Everywhere there was darkness, he brought light. Everywhere there was death, he brought life. You see, Jesus was giving people a foretaste of the ultimate why. He said that I have come that people may have life and have it abundantly. And that life is only found in light of the eternity which I will bring to its completion on the day I return again. All of it was a foretaste of what he would ultimately do on the last day when it says the following, God's dwelling place will be among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus says, everything that you have seen me do is a foretaste of the day when I will return again and make everything new. And there will be no more death or crying or mourning anymore. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more disease. There will be no more suffering and inequality. Rather, we will live in glory for all time with the God who loves us. In a newly remade earth where all things are done well. You see, it's that final picture that gives us our purpose in the present. That final picture gives us our purpose in the present because what Jesus then says, before, after his resurrection and before he ascends to heaven, he tells his disciples, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father sends me, so I am sending you. He says that just as I came to bring foretastes of that future glory into the world, so you too have a recreating purpose. Your duty is to go out into the world as I went out into the world and where you see brokenness bring healing. 
Where you see injustice, bring justice. Where there is disease, put it to an end. Where there are broken relationships, restore them with love. Where there are people who are lost and looking for their purpose, show them that their purpose can only be found in me. Go and give foretastes of the kingdom to a world that is hungry and thirsty, that is eating and drinking and yet is left unsatisfied. Live in light of the eternity, the eternal purposes for which I am going to make all things new. You see, we live in between the two great Christ events of history, his first coming and his second coming. And he says, your purpose is bound up in understanding that you have a calling to bring foretastes of that kingdom now. To an eat, drink, and be merry world that says, not tomorrow we die, but even today I feel empty with nothing. Jesus says, go. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Go. That is your purpose. That's our why. To be people of the kingdom who bring foretastes of the kingdom into a world that desperately needs it. And when you do that, it's going to lead you to do some things that the world is going to think are kind of dumb. Let's be honest. The world is going to look at that and say, that seems foolish. That seems silly. Why would you do that? The moment you start following Jesus on this journey and living light of that, in light of that eternal purpose, a world which doesn't understand that eternal purpose is going to look at you and say, that just seems bizarre. I mean, I remember when I first decided to live this out and I realized that I had an eternal purpose. It really came as I was studying 1 Timothy chapter 6. One of the things I love about this passage is Paul is talking to this young guy, Timothy, and here's what he says. He says, You, man of God, flee from all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession. And then he goes on and he, and he just kind of breaks out into worship. He says, In the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever and ever. Amen. What Paul is telling Timothy is he says, live your life in light of that purpose. Take hold of the eternal life which you are given. Set your eyes on God who dwells in inapproachable light and keep his kingdom first and foremost in your mind and heart and go, go out into the world. Yes, you're going to be thought of as weird. But when you live in light of the purpose, what you get to show the world is that life is not futile, that there is indeed something greater that's worth living for. Like I said, it's going to make you kind of bizarre. And it was after really studying that and thinking about my calling in college, I decided to just go on staff with InterVarsity Christian Ministries. InterVarsity is a college ministry. We kind of send people as missionaries to college campuses to reach the next generation with this good news of the kingdom. 
But also like missionaries, it means that you have to like fundraise your own support and you have to build, you have to like find your budget and, and raise up your budget and all that other stuff. And I remember telling my parents that this is what I was going to do. That upon graduating college, I was going to serve in this college ministry. And I remember kind of the look on their face and the look on the faces of lots of my family and friends. They were just like, so wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You just went to college for four years. Now you're going to go back to college. You're going to ask other people to pay for it, and you're not going to go to class. <laughs> really? And I'd be like, guys, that's not the reason I'm going. I'm going because I believe I believe that the next generation of the world's leaders are on college campuses. And that these are leaders who are listening to things like plans by Death Cab for Cutie and being told that life is futile and that what they should do with their great education and their immense influence and power is just get as much of it as they can. And I want to give them a greater purpose that is going to send them out into the world as world changers whose lives have been transformed and renewed by the God who loves them and who are going to bring light and healing into a broken world. That's why I'm willing to make minimum wage and do this. made me a little weird, but it was an awesome six years as I watched those lives of those students be transformed. Living your life in light of God's purpose is going to mean that you're going to make weird choices about your family. I remember when my, my wife and I were ready to start having kids and, and we found out we were pregnant with our first. And we went into the doctor's office to start scheduling, you know, those, uh, those prenatal appointments. And I remember the nurse asking us, so would you guys like a genetic testing? For your child. And we said, well, why? Why would we want genetic testing? And she's like, well, you know, so that you can see if your child has something like Down syndrome or, or some other, you know, abnormalities and things like that. And we're like, well, why would, why would we want to know that before we meet our kid? And they said, well, you know, so that you can decide if you really want to have it still. Because having a child with special needs, that's really, really hard. And maybe you don't want that for your family. Maybe you guys want to have a, you know, and it's just really difficult. Maybe you should choose, choose a slightly easier path. And we looked at the nurse and we're just like, no. No, we don't want your genetic testing. Because we believe that every life is precious. That every life is a gift. And if we are indeed, if God is going to indeed give us a child with special needs, we are going to love that child. And it might be hard, but what in life worth doing isn't difficult. So no, we declined the test. And she looked at us like we were crazy. Like we were insane. But that was the choice we made. You want to talk about weird? You want to talk about uh, something that kills any party conversation, tell people that what you do for a living is that you're a pastor. <laughs> Seriously. It's like, you'll be sitting there at a party having drinks with people. Everybody's talking, oh, you know, this is Nick. Oh, hi, Nick. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Ah. <laughs> Fascinating. So what, 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 is, what is that like? Do you have exciting, exciting days? How is it to work one day a week? I mean, this is, seriously, like, nobody has any idea what I do, you know? That's why I threw this slide up there. That's what my parents think I do, that I'm Superman. My friends think that I'm, like, a Hogwarts student. I like to think that I'm a Jedi, but we all know that that's not true. Society thinks that as a pastor, you're just kind of living off of the foolishness of other people, kind of like these prosperity preachers. My boss thinks I just sit around watching Star Wars. The reality is, is as a pastor, you know what I get to do? Is I get to walk with people through every major season of life. 
birth, going off to school, finding a spouse, getting married, having children, learning to raise those children, suffering through the ups and downs, ultimately facing death, and all along the way, I have the privilege of saying, Jesus is with you. He has an incredible purpose for your life. And let's walk together as we live in light of that purpose. This is an awesome calling. You don't get into ministry to make money. You don't get into ministry for job security. You don't get into ministry because you think that this is the easy route that's kind of fun. You get into ministry because there is a purpose and a calling that is so much grander than anything else that I would gladly pay whatever price it takes in order to pursue it. But that's not just for pastors. That's for all of us. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to live our life on purpose is we know that there is a future glory to which we are all destined and so we want to live every single day in light of it. So a couple of tips for living your life on purpose, really practical things. First and foremost, begin every single day with the end in mind. This is the reason why we as a church are constantly encouraging people to read scripture, to read God's word, to spend time daily in prayer. Before you get out your front door, sit down and spend time with God. Spend time in his word so that he can help you to every single day see the purpose for which you are destined. To be ambassadors of his kingdom in the world. To bring the hope of the good news that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and in the kingdom that he is bringing. And to go out to your jobs and workplaces and communities and give them foretastes of that salvation. Help them ultimately come to know the God who loves them and who will make all things new. It starts with beginning your day with the end in mind. But then second, consider how you are using your time and your resources. I always tell people that the quickest way to, t to determine somebody's priorities is to look at their calendar and to look at their checkbook. To look at their calendar and to look at how they spend their money. And to ask yourself the question, are my resources and time all structured around this one purpose to which I am called? Ultimately to be an ambassador for Christ's kingdom in the world and to give as many people a foretaste of that kingdom as possible. Consider well how you use your time and resources. And finally, live life in light of your values. See, our values are the things that ultimately anchor us when the rest of the world would say, just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Our values say, no, these, my life is structured around this one all-encompassing goal. This is the reason why at Trinity we have seven of them. Seven values that we say kind of summarize the Christian life. They're worship, connecting with others in communities, serving those around us, being generous with what we have, leading others and being led sharing our faith, and ultimately living in transparent relationships and receiving accountability from others. We have these values because they are the things that anchor us around that mission and that purpose. That's what it means to be a part of this church community. And to the world, that may seem foolish. But to us, it's the power of God. Because what the world would look at and say is silly God says, my wisdom can confound even that. For my wisdom is that I will come into this world and I will make all things new. Following me on that journey will not look wise in the eyes of the world, but at the end of time, when we stand before God, gazing 
at his glory, he can say, this is the reason for which you have toiled so hard. Behold, I have made all things new. And that, indeed, is a life worth living. It's in the name of Jesus Christ who does indeed make all things new that we say praise be to God. Amen.